Father, we look at your word this morning. And we hear your heart, Lord, as to what you're passionate about. Your church and your people. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and prepare us for the Spirit's work on us and on our church and in our community and in our world. So we give you this. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're looking at Second Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. I'm not going to read before because we'll just crawl through it slow but sure. It's pretty... Pretty deep, but to be honest with you today, I don't think I'm a preacher. It's more like prophet, prophet language, so pray as I preach too. You probably heard the news this past week that Pre- President Donald Trump has decided that the people of the United States will be allowed to buy prescription drugs from Canada. And uh, the exorbitant costs down in the U.S. make it uh, deemable, so, but, but he just decided he, we're going to do that. And, and of course, once the announcement was made, all sorts of uh, waves of responses in the media, both good and bad, from both sides of the border. And what I thought uh, when I first heard it, it was uh, this story, this event may well just be another piece of fake news, so to speak. We hear that phrase, fake news, quite often in these days. And we see and hear it, uh, fake news, every time we watch or listen to any kind of media in these days. Uh, Fake news is a type of journalism of a kind of calculated propaganda that's usually written and published with the intent to mislead in order to damage an agency or a person or entity in order to gain finances or political or whatever it might be. But just, it's kind of a lie to gain something. For media outlets, fake news is uh, an opportunity to attract readers and viewers necessary to generate online advertising. Because publishing a story, it seems like that's not uh, true, is popular. People love reading stuff that uh, is wrong, I guess. What happens is we hear all this fake news all the time and it competes with legitimate news stories, which then causes confusion to what truth really is. The relevance of fake news has increased in the uh, post-truth politics of our day. And we've even kind of seen that when we looked at our text last week in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, 16 through 21, the apostle Peter there is exhorting the the persecuted churches in Asia Minor to hold fast to the truth as written in the word of God in a, in a, in a culture that was saturated with um, fake news, fake news of myths uh, that were used all to, to, to explain everything on earth. And the serpent, uh, Satan, cast the first false news, fake news, so to speak, to Eve in the garden, which led to the fatal fall of humanity. And he continues to do it even today. In John 8:44, Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. What's true is that the nation of Israel has constantly 
had to battle with the issue of false prophets. Throughout Israel's history, false prophets rose up and each one of them said in their own way that they were going to speak for Jehovah God to God's people. Elijah had to contend with the prophets of Baal because they promoted pagan religion. Jeremiah and Ezekiel exposed the counterfeit ministry of false prophets in their day who preached the gospel of comfort and prosperity. Sound familiar? Amen? <laughs> this has been going on now since creation. And sadly, we often see the same in the church, where when it comes to the truth of God's word, we sometimes make up our own truth as we're going along our way. This is why Peter is so passionately adamant about the truth of the God's word, which we saw last week. And even in this week, he's much more adamant about it. This is why last week he declared, uh, starting on verse 19 in chapter 1, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, he said, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In today's text, Peter tells us that just as the, the, uh, in the Old Testament we saw false prophets rise up, we in here in the New Testament days, so to speak, will also have false teachers rise up in our midst too. And he starts by telling us by the first uh, three verses on chapter 2 here. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Right away he's telling us this. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago not, is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So as be, we begin, know that when the Bible talks about false prophets or false teachers or what Jesus would call wolves, it is generally speaking about anyone and everyone who tries to influence and deceive and exploit people for their own selfish gain. In the context of Peter writing to the churches, he is then speaking of anyone and everyone in the church who tries to influence, deceive, or exploit people in the church for their own selfish gain. So in order to warn us, you know, Peter wants us to know what false teachers look like. So in order to warn us, Peter presents uh, in what I just read four common traits that we see in false teachers. And the first one is deception. But, but, but false prophets, he says, also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now this theme runs all through uh, Peter 2. And he begins here, by telling us that these teachings of these teachers is false. He calls what they taught uh, destructive, he says, heresies. 
What's interesting about the word heresy is that the original word in the Greek meant to make a choice. And over time, that nuanced and began to change, and it now means a choice that divides. A false teacher, we're hearing, is someone who will force you to make a choice between their beliefs or your beliefs. And so whenever a church member then would prod another church member to take the side uh, towards somebody or against somebody, that's promoting false truth and causing division. We're forcing a choice that divides. And not only in false teachers' message false, their methods are also false, Peter says. Instead of openly declaring who they are, they come into a church under false pretenses, and they give an impression that they are true Christians, that they have faith in Jesus. What's interesting, the literal translation of the phrase, will secretly bring in, literally means they secretly bring Lynn alongside. So what this means is they don't point uh, out the truth immediately. What they do is they lay their falses, false beliefs next to true beliefs. And they let it sit there for a while. And over time, the true one will fall away and theirs will stay right in front of us. In Second Peter 2.3, Peter points out that the false teachers use false words. The Greek word for false words here is plastos, from which we get our English word plastic. What this means is false teachers know the words that can be twisted into any shape that they want to. False pe- teachers use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. They talk about great words of the Christian faith, but they don't mean what we mean. Immature followers hear false teachers and think that they're sound in faith, but they're not. Satan is a liar, and false teachers are liars too. Both use the Bible not to enlighten, but to deceive. Keep in mind that false teachers are not innocently ignorant of the Word of God. They know the truth of the word, God's Word, but they deliberately reject it and instead teach and promote their version of the Word of God. Secondly, denial. Even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift, excuse me, swift destruction, destruction. False teachers are better known for what they deny rather than what they believe. This is a huge issue in the church. False uh, teachers call themselves Christians, and though they often talk about what Jesus taught, they deny the master because they will not submit themselves to Jesus' teachings. Peter says these people are going to rise up in our midst, and we can expect that they will come, and they will be with us, and they will sound like they are deep, mature Christians. They'll probably be friendly, and personable, and loving, and caring. They may even appear to have all the answers of life. But they deny the very basic foundation of the truth of our faith in Jesus Christ, which is submission to Jesus Christ. They will deny the master who bought them. Third, sensuality. And many follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The term sensuality here means licentious conduct, but it's not about sexuality. Peter's not dealing with sex here. 
Sensual here means anything that has to do with the senses. That is, sensual people base their lives on the flesh in the here and now. What that means is uh, what tastes good, what looks good, what feels good, what you wear, what you buy, what you drive, what you live in. These things in in themselves are not wrong, but they're wrong because those are the, the sum and substance of their lives. And Peter tells us false teachers are those who just live in one world. They don't live in the realm of the spirit. They're not concerned about the ultimate spiritual things of life. What matters to them is the now in the things of the world. And Peter says that will be the focus of people who have sensual thinking. And many will follow these people because they'll be very attractive in the philosophy they have in life. Many will be turned on to the sensuality of false teachers. What's worse, though, they'll be turned off from Christianity. Fourth, greed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Greed drives false teachers as well. They exploit believers uh, with their false words for the sake of material gain or relational gain or whatever it might be. So they might uh, usually, these folks teach uh, prosperity and those who love the world just love prosperity. But greedy false teachers throughout history have been marked with sexual sin, lust for money, and dishonesty. Uh, False teachers are also greedy for attention and they will do so by exploiting people's hunger for God because all of us was born with a hunger for God. But by teaching and preaching a therapeutic gospel, they will draw people to themselves, which promises to bind the broken and hurt or heal the hurting. Their condemnation, uh, Peter says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. What he means here is, long ago, before these words were written, Moses declared that false prophets should be judged. And in Deuteronomy 13.10, Moses declared that that punishment should be, you shall stone him to death with stones because he has sought to draw you away from the Lord your God. Now the apostle Peter is not really advocating stoning in these days. God takes care of those things now. Uh, What Peter is saying is that God will judge false teachers who deceptively cause divisions who do not submit themselves to Jesus Christ, who live their lives for themselves in this world, and who are greedy for money and attention. Their condemnation is not idle, and their destruction not asleep. And next in verses 4 through 10, Peter documents this principle with detailed arguments providing God's definite judgment on false teachers. And he uses examples from the Old Testament. And the first example is fallen angels in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, be kept until judgment. So what he's saying here is if God has eternally condemned the sinful angels, then how much more certainly will he condemn false teachers of God's word? 
Then he speaks of Noah and the ark and the world. Verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, the herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So he's saying if God did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah and seven others, then will he will even more definitely judge the false teachers while at the same time preserve the godly, those who are of his family. I would say in this sense, true born-again followers of Jesus Christ, we may be a small minority, but God will always, always protect us. Amen? Peter then talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Peter is saying if God condemned Sodom and Gomorrah, how then much more certain is that he will also protect the godly, but condemn the false teachers and the odd godly. Then he speaks of Lot in verses 7 and 8. If he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over all the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So Peter's saying if God rescued Lot, who was righteous in his own, who was greatly distressed by all the things that were going on, how much more will he rescue the godly also? Peter then says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Having made his case for God's certain judgment over false teachers through events from the Old Testament, Peter then proclaims God indeed knows how to rest Christians from struggles and suffering. And in Peter's audience, remember he's writing to churches going under persecution. And in this case, those who read it would have felt uh, hope. Hope, would, you know, God's with us. He's, he's judging these people, but he saved, saved his, his people. And so ultimately, they would feel that also the... the vindication of the condemnation of those who have been putting them under persecution. And so Peter's thoughts and words here um, causes him, I think, once more to kind of rise up and warn the churches of this false uh, truth that comes from false teachers. And I think I might have said this a couple of weeks ago. The church, the battle for the church is at hand. And we've gone through it, and we will continue to go through it over time because that's our lot. But we still win. And this is what we're hearing from Peter here in the midst of writing to churches that are under huge persecution, inside and outside. He's telling them, we've won. Those who are punishing you will be condemned, and I will rescue you. So he just keeps going through this theme. So he goes uh, now in verses, starting verse 10, he begins to talk about, again, these uh, false teachers. And this time he talks about the character of who they are. Bold and willful, willful, he said, they will not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, 
though greater in power, in might, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So what Peter is saying here is that false teachers, which the word uh, verse before talked about, they despise authority. They are so, they despise authority so much that they become recklessly bold and arrogantly willful to the point where they behave ways even that the fallen angels wouldn't behave. Like fallen angels, think about that. Demons are watching these people and they're going, we would never do that. What happens here in doing so, they recklessly dismiss the thought that they might have any kind of forces of demo, demo, demonic forces that would come into their lives and make them open to do the same thing. So then he writes, but these like irrational animals, creators of instinct, excuse me, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. It's an interesting text. What we're hearing here is false teachers will operate in very irrational ways. They act like animals, following neither reason nor truth, but rather instinct, so to speak, ignoring even the very most basic of human values. Yet it says here that they behave in a way while they are teaching this, at the same token, they are posturing themselves as Christians, even to the point of taking the Lord's Supper in church with other brothers and sisters. We're going to be doing that today. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have... Oh, wait a minute. Back up. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. The eyes of false teachers desire adultery, we're reading here, and that would be physical but also spiritual and emotional. They, they just desire adultery virtually with unsteady people are drawn to them into their decadence. False teachers are characterized by this unquenchable taste and desire for sin. Just think about that. That's what you think about all the time with anybody you see and do. They just become so saturated with this. Insatiable for sin. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, Peter writes. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Peter here says, false teachers follow the way of Balaam, which is a life spent by gaining things at the expense of other people. Balaam was condemned for that. He was supposedly a man of spiritual insight, but God can use even a donkey to close him down. These are waters of springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Peter reveals here the extreme importance of dealing with false teachers in the church. 
by reminding us again about the deadly influence that false teachers have on a church. They are waterless springs in that they, they promise spiritual refreshment, but instead they give us just a mist by the wind, sowing confusion and division, devoid of any kind of kingdom value. He talks here about the gloom of utter darkness that's been reserved for them and for fallen angels and for the ungodly. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by their sensual passions of the flesh those who bear, are barely escaping from those who live in error. What this means here is the false teachers entice by sensual senses, remember, passions, those who are barely escaping the clutches of, of bondage and condemnation of sin. False teachers prey on new believers, on weak believers, teaching them they can do whatever they want. They promise them freedom, he writes, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Peter's saying false teachers operate under a guise of freedom. In actuality, they entice others to become just like them in, in bondage, in corruption. The real truth of false freedom is that there is no freedom outside of Christ. He writes, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, and the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness after knowing and turn back to the holy commandment that's delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Peter declares that it would have been better for these false teachers to not follow the path of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, only to abandon that path and return back to their vomit, so to speak. False teaching is fatal to the hearer and to the speaker. I say these words in the context of Peter's letter in the Word of God regarding false teachers in the church. And I say these words also in the context of uh, the news last month that a pastor named John Harris, evangelical Christian author, uh, conference uh, speaker, longtime pastor at Covenant Life Church, has told us just a, a couple weeks ago that he separated from his wife He's disavowed his books. He's announced that he is no longer a Christian. I also say these words in the context of all the conflicts and uh, divisions that occur in churches around the world um, and the conflicts and divisions that we went through a couple years ago. The truth of God's word, brothers and sisters, is this. No one is immune from being taken in by a false teacher. No one. And no one is immune to becoming a false teacher. And no one is immune to being taken in by the teaching of a false and fake gospel. Our only hope, our only help, Peter tells us here, is our submission to Jesus Christ and the truth of the Word of God. That's it. That's all. And that's everything. 
Jesus tells us this in John 15, 7 and 8, when he declared, if you abide in me, if you submit to me, and my words abide to you, my truth of God's word, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father is glorified, and that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we listen to these words today, and these are harsh and hard. We think about condemnation and false teachers and all these things, Lord, in the spiritual war that we go through every moment of every day. And we thank you, Lord, for, uh, for warning us, for enlightening us. Help us by your Spirit to, in the midst of all of our busyness and uh, even in the midst of trying to walk a straight line along down your path, we need, you, we need your help. We need by your Spirit, Lord, for you to um, open our hearts to submit ourselves to you, Jesus. And also, Lord, to fall in love and be saturated with, with the truth of your word in a world that uh, is a lot of fake stuff around. and Sadly, it's in the church. Sadly, it's, it's in life. But by your spirit, we ask that we lift ourselves up to you and to help us. Help us not to be prideful and think that we can take care of it. Help us, Lord, to receive it and stay on that same path. But most of all, Lord, we pray that you would do it in a way that would give you glory and give us great joy. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen.